turn this on first, at 10.30, that means I have an It's wonderful. That's all that means. Um, am I on? I don't know if I'm on or not. I'm on? Okay. Difference between the front row Christians and the back row? Is there a difference in spirituality or something? So who's more? No, no, no. I'm getting to that. In all seriousness, I have fond memories of this church, very fond memories. Um, I always like to remember two people in particular that passed on. John Eglin used to pick up college students from Stony Brook University. When I was on a leave of absence from my college upstate, I went to Stony Brook, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, and John would faithfully take his old station wagon and go up there to, uh, to the college and pick up students. By the way, an opportunity for you as well, I, I try to do this every year. I have a couple of these. I was telling Nick Camelloni about it. Stonebrook University has a host family program, and they don't pay me to say this, but it, it doesn't mean they live at your house. It means that they just become a friend of yours, and you see them a couple of times during the year. So, for example, this year I have a student from Korea and India that I'm going to get to know, and the kickoff, dessert, and reception is August 24th on a Thursday night. It's a very nice program. It's run by a Jewish lady. She's happy that churches are involved. And so if you have any interest in that, I have some flyers about that. So I figured I'd tell you about that in memory of John Eglin. Also, how many of you remember a lady by the name of Betty Johnson? Way from the past. She gave me, she came up to me one day, I think in this very room, and said that she wanted to pay $2,000 for me to go to a Bible school. So she, the Lord used her, and she was going through a hard time. Her health wasn't good. Her husband left her, to be honest. And she was still seeing how she could be a blessing to other people. And I remember her with fondness, because she gave me that 2000 She wanted me to go to a school in Arkansas, and I redirected that, and I ended up going to California. But the Lord used her in a mighty way in my life. The Lord used this church in a mighty way. I was going to a church upstate that was pretty good in some ways, but a little bit weird, because they kept the food laws. They would tell me that we can't eat ham and bacon and all those good things. And they even told stories of people working on Sundays and falling off ladders and dying and all this kind of a thing because they believed so strongly that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath in a very strict sense. But when I came here, Pastor Gary Finn was here who had a very balanced and good doctrine. I remember, I remember those outlines, taking out those outlines every week about this yay big and hearing wonderful messages. I have fond memories of this church up till, up till today. Today's a good memory even coming in. And your present pastor is one of my best friends ever. He has been there for me in my early days of the church, the hardest times of my church and my life. That man has been there for me. So I just want to tell you that. I have New Village has been a blessing to me since I got saved, since I left St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Ronkonkoma to the day I stepped in here. By the way, the church has been around a long time. Huh? I see these old pictures on this thing. Brothers and sisters, you have a great legacy. Keep it going. Keep it going. Well, let's pray, and I'm eager to get started this morning. Lord, we praise your faithfulness this morning. You motivated men and women back in 1818 to start the church. And we give you praise that you have been faithful to this church 
up until the present day. And Lord, I want to thank you for that. And I give you praise that to my knowledge, every preacher, and really this church as a whole, has upheld your gospel, has preached the true gospel. They have not been ashamed of it. And it's been the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek in this neighborhood for a long, long time. And I pray, oh Lord, that the things that we might think about this morning might help my brothers and sisters to seek your face in such a way that so many blessings and answers to prayer would take place in and through the people of the church. And so I ask that you'd guide us this morning by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. A sermon on prayer sounds boring, right? We think prayer is boring. To men, it's like attending a sewing class or crochet lessons or going to a ballet recital, unless it's your daughter. My daughter was involved in ballet, so I was interested. Or going shopping with your wife in a clothing store. Isn't that terrible sometimes? Don't they take so long to pick something out? I remember, I, I bring my books. I bring like a load of books and a big backpack, and I usually sit in the corner while she's shopping. You can say stuff like that when your wife's not here. For women, prayer is like watching some, a football game or listening to sports radio or a class on fixing cars. Maybe prayer is just for older people who have aches and pains. And I'm joining your ranks. I'll be 55 August 28th. I can live in the same senior development that my parents live in. That's terrible, isn't it? No, no, I'm only kidding. And I've got aches and pains. I've got tennis elbow now and funny muscle spasms in my back. Is it just for people like us getting older and who need to pray about our aches and pains? You might think prayer is for lazy people. You got the prayer people and you got the people who really do something. Brothers and sisters, so many misconceptions about prayer. Actually, it's hard work. But in all actuality, also, it's the most exciting privilege that we have. And I want to try to prove that to you this morning. The most exciting privilege we have. It's worship. It's adoration of God for his greatness and his grace and salvation, first and foremost. Calvin called it the opening up of our heart before God. By way of introduction, you could turn to Hebrews 4, verse 14. And by the way, part of this verse, verse 16, is in your prayer room. When I was in the prayer room this morning, I was happy to see that verse was up there. The Bible is going to tell us that it's a way to receive mercy and grace in a time of need. Don't you think we should go to the Lord very often because of that privilege and that blessing? Jesus died. He rose, paid for your sins, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven. He's in heaven. He's interceding for us. So this verse says in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable. This is even great. He's so great. But he's able to sympathize and empathize with us because he was human and went through some of the same things we experience. Isn't that something? So not only does he care about us, but he's powerful. Not only is he powerful, but he cares about us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence or with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. He withstood so much temptation because 
so much more of it was poured upon him. Do you realize that? He faced and felt the full strength of temptation because he was the son of God. So he knows what you're going through. He knows what kind of help you and I need. And so this is telling us that now being believers that we have this access to his throne in prayer. Is that an exciting thing or what? Prayer is not boring, friends. Prayer is not boring. We can come to his throne boldly with confidence and constantly. Pray without ceasing. It should be like breathing to us. Brothers and sisters, draw near. If you don't remember anything this morning, draw near. If you had a relative that gave you an ATM card and he said there's $50 million in the bank, but you can only take out 500 a day, you and I would be there every day. You'd be going there every day. If he said you could go twice a day, you'd be there twice a day. Going to the ATM, hmm, got, got to get my 500. Got to get my 500. Got... This is better than the 500 a day. Mercy and grace in a time of need, whenever we need it, which we, uh, last time I checked, I always need it. What if somebody, what if there was a food machine and you get food all the time? That'd be dangerous, right? Be like, oh, you can eat all day. All-you-can-eat places are kind of dangerous. We all overeat. I've walked out sick of a, quite a few all-you-can-eat places. This is better than all of that. But you might ask, what should we say? And before I say that, prayer should not be regarded as a duty to which, that we must perform, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. E.M. Bounds. So when we go to prayer, what should we say? Well, you know, Jesus' disciples asked the master specialist himself. And by the way, we like specialists, right? Especially when we're sick. There's a fellow in my church, they don't even know what's wrong with him. His, his legs are swelling. Great guy named Tom. They have no idea what's happening. Is it gout? They even have something called pseudo-gout. I didn't even know it was a fake gout. All kinds of things. They don't know what it is yet. But God knows. But we brought him to the master. And if we want to find that about praying, we go to the specialist. Now, Jesus was praying. We're in Luke 11 now. At the beginning, Jesus was praying before our main text in verse 5. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, you know, they're going to ask him, teach us to pray. He must have prayed in such a magnetic and unbelievable way, probably by just even the words he said, that they wanted to know and learn from him how to pray. Out of all the things they could have asked him, they didn't even ask him, teach us to preach. Didn't even ask, teach us to evangelize, though he did say he was going to make them fishers of men. Isn't it interesting, the emphasis on prayer? Prayer is emphasized in the Bible big time. In Acts chapter 6, when there was a dispute in the church over the feeding of the widows, the apostles were to focus on the word of God and, and prayer. The twin pillars of the faith. The word of God and prayer. So Jesus' disciples are asking him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. And by the way, the way the Lord's prayer is recorded here is different than Matthew's, showing that it's a template. It's a pattern. In my old Catholic days, I would say the rosary as fast as I could. I sounded like an auctioneer. Oh, Father, one heaven, I'll be the name like you You ever do that? You all, anybody from a Catholic background and used to the rosary quick? From the laughs, I can tell some people were. This is a template and a pattern. 
these are the kind of elements to include in prayer. I'm not going to go through it in any detail, just all by way of introduction. Father, hallowed be your name. Brothers and sisters, recognize how great God is in your prayer. If you're reading the word of God enough, you're always going to think about his character and meditate on his beauty and who he is and his holiness and his righteousness and his justice and be able to extol him in prayer in that fashion. Your kingdom come. Oh, we're living in some tough days, right? Last time I checked the news. May his kingdom come. May Jesus come. Looking forward to that rapture, right? You're still a pre-trip church, right? So many churches are changing on me. All right. I really do believe he's coming before the tribulation, but that's not the message this morning. Give us each day our daily bread. Come to him for all your needs and all your provisions, not just food. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. By the way, make sure that you've confessed your own sins, right? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Please, is there, if there's someone here today that's involved in unrepentant sin, and you know the Lord, I am urging you to turn away from that sin. That will block your prayers. And men, if you're not treating your wife right, 1 Peter says, and 1 Peter 3 says that your prayers are hindered. Treat that woman right. Lead us not into temptation. Now you figure, well, that's all we need, right? We can close the sermon here. But apparently Jesus did not think that way. There was something more that he wanted his disciples to know. And a lot of times we don't go into the next section. We pick it up in verse 5. And I love this text. I was at this sermon audio conference in Manhattan, and I heard a pastor from England preach on it. And he got me really thinking about this text. Something else here that God wants us to learn about his nature, his character, and how we should approach him from this text. So we go to verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. You got to realize something. Hospitality was a very normal practice back then. Uh, they left their doors open in the daytime, and they accommodated people all the time in their homes. Probably we need more of that these days. I remember way back when, when New Village families opened up their homes to college students. And I went to, I think, Alberta Redden's home. And we saw the bird, the old bird back then and all of that. It, that was a great time, and all the students remember that. My wife remembers that. Others remember that. By the way, Jerry Kasilam, who used to attend his church, is getting married. He's almost my age. He's getting married for the first time. And I have the privilege of counseling him, a guy from the Stony Brook days who attended this church, who now goes to New Hyde Park Baptist. And so the ceremony will be there. And uh, the food. The food will be at Windows on the Lake over here. By the way, hospitality, it was, it was at a premium back then. The Palestinians had a commitment to hospitality that was legendary. But when it got late and it was midnight and the door was locked and in their one-room homes, everybody was in, kind of in bed together and things were quiet, they did, as hospitable as they were, they didn't usually want to be disturbed. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like that. Once I'm in bed... If my wife says, are all the doors locked? I hate that question. You ever get there? You're cozy. You're in bed. The covers are up. The pillow feels good. I got one of those my pillows, really good. Chris, are all the doors locked? 
Ooh, that means Chris has to get up and check all the doors. That's all that means. Or my dogs, which I regret having in some way, start whining at a wrong time to go to, there's wrong times to go to the bathroom, right? You, you see, I can lose my sanctification late at night. So the story here, there's a man, he has an, this guy's sleeping, one guy's sleeping, his friend has an urgent situation, he believes it's urgent, he has a friend arrive, he doesn't have anything to set before him, he's got no food. Now probably, presumably the guy came from on a long journey, and he really, he's really hungry. Of course, we would just tell him to go to 7-Eleven, but there was no 7-Eleven, okay? So basically, he starts knocking on his friend's door, and the guy doesn't want to get out of bed. He's grouchy, he's a bit selfish, he's tired, his kids are sleeping. It's like, don't bother us. Don't bother. I know you're my friend, but don't bother us. Every once in a while, too, there's a false alarm at our church. I don't know if you have that kind of problem here. I don't like that call either. It's cold winter night, three in the morning. And usually it's a false alarm because the wind blew or something, or, you know, it's a little dirty in those, whatever, those receptacles. <sighs> Getting out of bed. If something's important, I'll get out of bed. Somebody's really sick, has to go to the hospital. My family, I'm up. I have energy like that, I do. But for something silly, nope. And apparently this man didn't think that it was necessary to get up. So the point here is friendship alone is not enough to get this guy out of bed. So what's needed? What's needed in prayer? First point, and really the main point, pray persistently. Look at verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of impudence or persistence, he'll rise up and give him whatever he needs. He's not going to get up because he's his friend. But because the guy keeps, he keeps knocking, he keeps knocking, he keeps knocking. And by the way, that word is more like shamelessness, a lack of feeling shame. For the most part, we would think it's shameful to knock on somebody's door at 2 in the morning, right? For, for something not important. Be kind of shameful to say, oh, can I have a cup of sugar? My wife's making a cake. At 2 in the morning? At 2 in the morning? Really? This is why you bother me? Of course, as Christians, we should be a little more gracious than that even if somebody did that to us, right? By the way, continue to grow in grace so that you grow in love and patience and peace. And... But because this guy kept nagging his friend, basically it was nagging him, bugging him. By the way, if somebody is knocking on your door in the middle of the night, check who it is. There was a guy who knocked on my door, I think, four in the morning. He was running from the police. Fortunately, I didn't open the door. That was a weird night, four in the morning. I live in Medford, four in the morning. I knock at the door, the guy, oh, can I come in? He sounded, I knew something was wrong and I'm glad he didn't have any weapons. He didn't break his way in and God protected us that night. But what's the point of this whole, what's the point of the text? If a grumpy, sinful, selfish man will eventually get out of bed because of persistence, how much more will the wonderful God who sent his son to die for us, who loves us with an everlasting love, who is generous and kind, how much more will he answer our prayers if we continue to come to him because he loves us? Isn't that the point? 
compared to the grumpy grouch who doesn't want to get out of bed? God's not like that. He's not weak. He's not tired. He'll never say, why are you coming to me again? Remember what it says in James 1.5? If you lack wisdom, what should you do? And how many times in my life and your life have we not gone to the Lord and made some stupid mistakes because we didn't go to the Lord to ask for wisdom when he promises to give it when we go to him? Listen to the verse. James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And one of the words there means he'll never blame somebody for coming. He's not like a parent. He's like, oh, you're coming to me again? Mom, 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 mom. Some, you, know, you, you can get worn down as a parent, right? Mom, I want candy. No, 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 no. The Lord so much wants you and I who know him to go to him. A lot. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. Think of all the verses. I'll mention some at the end of the message. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. What a privilege to unload all of our burdens upon him. And yet I think if we could symbolize ourselves with backpacks... Are you carrying a whole bunch of stuff that you really shouldn't be carrying that the Lord has promised to take from you if you would give it to him in prayer? Look what Jesus says. Look how he follows up. So not only pray persistently, but we could say verse 9 is pray intensively. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, this is our Lord who died for us, who loves us, right? And I tell you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. The Lord will answer. Maybe not always in the way that we want, but he's wiser than us. He'll respond. And it's intense, right? And it, it, and it even becomes more intensive. Ask, seek, knock. To me, that sounds like it's increasing in intensity, right? A mere asking with words. Then you're seeking. Then you're literally knocking. Knocking on heaven's door. Old song, right? Knock, knock on heaven's door. Use that in a good sense when you think of that song. This is not a casual thing. This is intense. How did Jesus pray at times? There were times he prayed all night. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, was he kind of casual about his prayer? Or was he sweating, as it were, drops of blood? Hebrews 5, 7 says of Jesus, he offered up prayers and petitions with cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. You ever notice when the chips are really down, then we get serious in prayer? One of your children is facing something really hard. Then, you know, myself included, now we're on our knees. Now we're crying out. The Lord Jesus tells us to ask. And you know, we're doing this because we have a confidence in the Lord. It's not being, you're not going to him because you don't think he's going to answer. You're going to him because you know he's going to answer. And that he's a faithful God. So for that reason, we could say also pray expectantly. Verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door shall be opened. Listen to, listen to some of these answers to prayer. My daughter's into acting, so she said, Dad, 
I need a pharmacy because I want to do an anti-drug film, anti-prescription drug film, which is good for these days, right? I said, all right. The kid's always asking me for things, and I'm scratching my head, how do I do this? Well, best thing is to pray. I don't, you know, what am I going to do? So what happened was, by God's wonderful grace, out of the blue, I received a call from the members of a, a pharmacy run by some Indian Christians. The way I had gotten to know them, uh, know them is that you might remember there was a major shooting in Medford years ago in a pharmacy. How many remember that? Yeah. And so this Indian family had a real heart for the churches in Medford because of that, and their way of being a blessing was to bring us gifts. So all I knew, one day somebody was going to bring all these mugs with Bible verses on them and pictures and stuff to our church. It was nice. But I lost track. I didn't even know the lady's name. I forgot. Getting old, 55. So I get a call from one of the ladies, one of the pharmacists, another Indian lady that works in a pharmacy who happens to go to Cary Baptist at Riverhead. And she calls up and says, you know, Chris, we have this pharmacy right on Route 112. What? That's right near me. So I said, what's the lady's name that, you know, set somebody up to come to? Oh, it's Aruna. That's right, Aruna. So I call up Aruna. Before I could even ask the question, you know, could my daughter, you, yes, absolutely, you can use the pharmacy for whatever you want. And they were able to shoot that, uh, the scene on, uh, right at that pharmacy. Also, I found out that this Indian family were prayer warriors. You know what they do, 6.30 every day? And I started to join them, and actually now preaching this sermon again, I want to start joining them again. They get on one of these uh, telephone lines where, you know, a bunch of people can get on. What's that called? Conference call? Whatever it's called. You dial a certain number, everybody goes on. These people are faithful. Now, you want to hear something even more amazing? Hold that thought for a second. About a year and a half ago, there was a lady that called me up from Brooklyn randomly. And boy, was her family facing problems. They were facing health problems. They lived in a place that had mold, and she was going to the hospital for respiratory problems. Her husband was super depressed, wouldn't even get on the phone. He was going to the hospital. It was like, you know, they have a disabled son. The daughter has depression. It was like she was, and, and she was saying, I have nobody to talk to, and the pastor's run from me. And so anyway, for some reason, she was calling me, and I was talking to her, talking to her. Keep, hold that thought. So I'm praying on the phone with the Indian family, but it wasn't all Indians. There was a man there who was on every day. And I didn't really know who he was, but he was, he was like a prayer warrior. Guess who the man was? The guy that was depressed. Wouldn't even get on the phone in the past. I didn't even know until we compared notes. He said, pray for my wife, blah, blah, blah. I said, are you blah, blah, blah? Yeah. And I, that was like one of those God moments. Like, oh, wow. The Lord answered the prayers of that Indian family for this man who was so depressed and failing. That renewed my sense of the power of prayer. And I've seen the Lord do some wonderful things. Our church waited 10 years. There was a gift promised by a church that folded in Queens. One of the Jamaican fellows at my church, his family lived in Queens. They were part of the church in Queens. It folded. They knew about our church. They wanted to give us a good sum of money. But there was red tape. It wouldn't come. People in our church were doubting it. Uh, 
I say, I, I think it's going to come. Oh, when I see it, I'll believe it. I was getting all those kind of statements. It came. $100,000 came. I was like, the Lord is faithful. It may take some time, right? But the Lord is ever so faithful. You may be facing something. I'm going to urge you, bathe it in prayer every day. And if you have to pray and fast, go, to, go, do and, go and do that. And who knows what the Lord is able to do. We sang, didn't we sing something about nothing's impossible with God? Or somebody read a verse today, right? Nothing is impossible with God. We forget that. He framed the universe. He was here before time began. He created everything that is. <laughs> I think he qualifies to answer our prayers, don't you think? And he loved you with an everlasting love. He didn't even spare his own son. How will he not freely give us all things? We usually think of only the Pentecostal guys getting, you know, praying big prayers, right? Well, it shouldn't only be the Pentecostal guys who pray big prayers. I don't think so. I don't think so. Go to verse 11 now. And another kind of illustration from the lesser to the greater. We as parents would never do something to really hurt our kids, right? So if we wouldn't do something to hurt our kids, is God, you know, not going to, he, he's not going to hurt us. In fact, he's really going to bless us. If we give good gifts to our children, imagine what God will give to those who ask. Look what it says, verse 11. And we could say maybe pray wisely here, knowing that God is good. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? First of all, I wish that my kids through the years would just ask me for some fish and eggs. That would have been cheaper than some of the gifts I gave them. Shows a little different cultural uh, time period, right? Do you remember the days when your kids were small and you get away with big colorful gifts from Kmart or something? That big playset that looked, ooh, and they thought it was big and colorful. And then now all that changed, right? But wait a second. If a kid did ask for a fish, a decent father wouldn't give him a serpent. That sounds like something out of uh, Edgar Allan Poe poem or something like that, or Stephen King, right? That'd be kind of a weird, what a, what a terrible thing to, you know, can I have a fish to eat? And you put a, a, an adder in front of his face? We would never do that. If he asked for an egg, give him a scorpion? Claws and everything? Almost grabbing your kid? You would never do that. Look at the implication. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, compared to God, the best of us is evil. I don't care how good you treat your kids, not like God. And by the way, for you parents and kids, nobody's better than God to you. That's why Jesus said, anyone who loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. When I got saved, I had to turn away from my parents only in the sense of they didn't want me to come to New Village instead of St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Trust me, they don't want me to come here. My mother was crying and my father was mad. They're proud of what I do now. Not back then. I had to love Jesus more than my parents because they were standing in the way of me and Jesus. They were. Right in the way. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. 
We would never do this to our kids. I don't even know if Hitler would do this to his kids as bad as he was, or the, the North Korean president. Even with our sinful tendencies, we give good gifts to our children. Think of God's nature compared to ours. So generous, so magnanimous, so much mercy and grace and love toward us. Brothers and sisters, he'll bless you. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I don't know about you, but I don't like to miss out on blessings. And I have. Because I haven't taken it all to the Lord in prayer, as that song says, right? Brothers and sisters, don't miss out anymore. Unsaved people could call on the Lord and be saved, and the, and the Spirit obviously is given to them, having believed this here with the Spirit. Those of us who already have the Spirit, we can pray that God would lead us and guide us and control us and give us, give us boldness for witnessing, and he will. Ask him for the power of the Holy Spirit to be in your life. Didn't Paul say in Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The Lord gives spirit, he answers spiritual prayers. And by the way, those are the best prayers. I mean, when you analyze the Apostle Paul's prayers to all the different churches, what was he saying? Please help the fungus on his toenail. And I'm not saying we never, I got fungus on my toenail, so you could pray for me on that, by the way. I should go to the doctor for that, but anyway. As much as you might pray for that, pray, even for the people that are sick in your church, that they'll know the hope of their calling. There's a lady in my church, her, her health is failing, her breathing is failing. But she needs to be strengthened by the Lord even at a time like that, yes? And we're praying for her breathing, of course. But for her spiritual strengthening. The Apostle Paul analyzed his prayers. He prayed this, you know, their understanding is opened up. He always prayed stuff like that. What did James say? You do not have because you do not ask. What did Jesus say to do? Ask. Ask. Draw near to the throne of grace. James also said, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I got to say that. Always check whether you have the right motives in prayer. We shouldn't stockpile treasures for ourselves on earth. By the way, and I, I know too that I know that your church is considering some kind of a merger. You pray about that. Because guess what? If it's God's will, nobody can stop it. If it's not God's will, it will be stopped by God. You know what I'm saying? You need God's, you need God's will on that. And by the way, I've been in churches to know long enough. If you're not praying, you don't have as much of a say in things, to, in my opinion. Nobody told me to say this, but I'm saying it. Because a pastor from the outside can do these kind of things. If you're just sitting around here complaining at New Village and you're not praying, stop the complaining. Doesn't Philippians, by, by the way, Philippians 2.12 says not to complain. Last time I checked. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. So you can prove yourselves to be children of God. What does it say? Uh, like shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We stand down when we don't complain. Pray. 
God will have his way. My church has been through an ebb and flow through the years. What do we have, 40 people or less on a Sunday morning? My church? People move, people go to other churches, but new ones come. I just keep doing what I'm doing. I know that I have to be faithful. We're seeing some good things happen. I was working outside jobs. I worked at Our Savior Lutheran School for a while. I worked at um, West Sable Christian School. I also work with Hope Fitness right now. It's the only one I have, Hope Fitness for people with disabilities. But the Lord blessed us with the gift that came in, and the Lord answers prayer. If any of you lacks wisdom, if a church lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. Amen? How about this? I want to piggyback on this part. If you're carrying burdens, anxieties, and all these kind of things, all that we said today, all that Jesus said, is you need to go to the Lord with these things. Think of what it, think of what it says in the scripture. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I know that in the average congregation, families and individuals are anxious about some things. I have things that I'm concerned about. So what do you do about it? That word casting means to throw, it's really just like to throw it on the Lord. You, my friend, give it all to the Lord. Be of sober spirit, it says in the same verse. Be on the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. God is your protection. If you fret and worry and disobey what it says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything. It's going to lead to sin. It doesn't say in, in, the, in the Psalms, do not fret, it only leads to, leads to evil doing. Remember that verse? Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known before God. You know one thing that this New Village Church taught me in years past? Is to be steady in prayer meeting. For some reason, even as a college student, as busy as I was and I was working in things, I always wanted to be in prayer meeting. I'm not sure why. I was a new believer. But there's a lot of blessings. And, and you know what? That being, and I'm not, that's not the only time to pray. You get to start another prayer meeting in the morning at somebody's house. Praise God, you have the fellowship groups. Whatever it is, pray with the saints. Doesn't it say in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer? That's in the plural. Together. More prayer. More prayer. Draw near more and more and more. God will bless. Do you hear me? God will bless. I remember being in that, in that prayer room. And we saw good things happen through the years. Then when I went to First Baptist of Flushing, lived in the city. I was in that prayer room. The only time I didn't go to prayer meeting probably was at Grace Community Church. I don't know. They had Wednesday night, but I did something a little different. We were in little groups in my own church. I have to go to prayer meeting because I'm the pastor. But I want to go to prayer meeting, even if I wasn't the pastor. Go to meetings where you can pray together. Pray as a family. I urge you, husbands and wives, please, if you don't do anything else, pray. Pray together. Please pray together. Get as many of your family together as, as would want to pray. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
you realize God is able to do anything? Think of this verse, he, uh, Ephesians 3.20. Last verse, a couple thoughts. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations and forever. He's able to do what? More than we ask or think. So that means whatever you pray, he can do more. Your kids having trouble in high school? The Lord could have the guy get a master's degree. Can he? Your kid's struggling smoking pot? He might, eat, he might give up pot, follow the Lord, and become a health enthusiast. God is able to do these kind of things. Oh, but you don't know my son or daughter or my relative. What about the story of the Apostle Paul? He was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples and rounding up Christians to kill him. And he got saved and became the foremost apostle. I've learned in my years of pastoring, never give up on anybody. There may be somebody, a loved one, close to you. Maybe they've hurt you. You don't give up on them. You pray for them. Every day is a day of hope because of who he is. He's able to do more than we ask or think. Nothing is impossible with God. I like Toyota cars. And um, my white van was a Ford Windstar, and it went kaput. And I'm like, what do I do now? I mean, I, I like a van because I can pick up people for church. I'm a Craigslist man. In fact, you've got to pray for me on that. Sometimes I'm too much of a Craigslist man. And I go around with the van, and I, you know, I pick things up, and I buy things. But anyway, I was in a mall one day, and just was walking around. And I bumped into your pastor and his wife. And we had a you know, good conversation. And he was talking about his van. You know, it has a lot of problems. It needs a lot of fixing. And he was trying to, you know, arrange something. And he asked me if, you know, what, do, you, do you need a van for some reason? I had been thinking about a van. I don't even know if I prayed. Maybe I didn't even. Sometimes the Lord will answer a desire without even praying. He's good like that. And so what happened was, the van did need some work. It was at a Christian's gas station, Bernie's in um, Patchogue. And then a gift came to the church in a weird kind of way that was enough money to get the van fixed up. And that's what I drove here today, and I've been picking up people for church with it. Just illustrations of God being good. So brothers and sisters, please, if, if, you, if you forget anything else, think of it, think of it this way. When... When the tax, um, when the money changes were in the temple and making God's house into a den of robbers, what did Jesus want it to be? You've made it a den of robbers, but my father's house should be a house of? House of what? Remember that. Let's pray. take a moment and um, I want you to think about how you might beef up your prayer life. You want to set some times with your wife? For those of you that are single and all of us should have our own prayer closet plus get together with people. I urge you to get together with people and really pray. 
And you know, everything that I said today, I say out of love because this is a, it's, it's a wonderful church. It's been a blessing since 1818. Think about that. And if you all pray together, God is going to give you the plan that he wants. His will be done, right? Even for me. I mean, if, if, my, if God's will is for me to leave my church and somebody else to come or whatever, whatever it is, that's what I want. And I hope that you have the same heart and at the same time you're walking with the Lord. Because then when you do, the effectual fervent prayer of a what kind of man? A righteous man avails much. Our Father in God, I want to thank you for the privilege of being at New Village this morning. I thank you so much for your faithfulness to this church for so long. And I thank you for the dear people that are here this morning, that bore with me this morning in your word. And I pray for your blessing upon them. Lord, use this generation of new villagers for your glory. I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you'd strengthen them. I pray that they would walk with Jesus Christ closely and with one another. And Lord, I pray that the love in, in my church as well and in this church would increase so much that all men would know that we're your disciples in these churches. And that you would do a work of grace in this time period, in these desperate times that we, we live in. And that people of all backgrounds and of all stripes would come to this church. And Lord, I pray the same for mine as well. Please help us to be lighthouses. Lord, our churches have, in some ways, we've struggled with different things. But we pray, Lord, that your plan would be shown to us and we would see where you're working. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.